So have you ever um, tried to get everyone together for a family photo? Yeah, it doesn't matter, does it? Like it can be three, like mom, dad, kid, or it can be like everybody, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, like everybody all together. It's impossible. First, like they're, they're like this, and like, okay, everybody squish in, and so that's awkward enough, so everyone's squishing in. Like look up here, and you inevitably, so there's a website awkwardfamilyphotos.com. I spent way too much, way too much time there this week trying to find one appropriate for Sunday because there's like a lot, just, just trust me, there's some weird ones. But here's a couple that I can share. Here's one. I'm looking at this. Notice, I, no one, not one person in this photo is actually looking at the camera, right? They're all over the place. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Or this one, this picture, here's what I love about it. The caption, this is not made up. The caption was like, okay, this is our family photo when I was a kid. The only one actually looking at the camera is creepy Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what to do with that. But some of you know what this feels like when you're trying just to get everyone to straighten up and fly right and take the picture. It's so frustrating, right? It's so impossible. But I, here's what I think. I think not all of you. Some of you have been going to church for a long time and you forgot what this feels like. But there's some of you in this room. Some of you in this room, you feel like it's like taking a family photo when you come to church. Right? You feel like I, I've got to get up. I've got, for those of you with hair, you're like, I got to get my hair all slicked down just right. You know, I got to get that going on. I got to get my, I got to get my fancy pants, you know, wear fancy pants to church. And I got to get all this. And then I'm in the car and we're late and people are yelling at each other and we're grumpy. And I didn't get any food. So I'm trying to eat my pop tart or whatever you eat for breakfast. And it's trying to get on me a little bit. If you come to 830, we give you bananas and cereal, by the way. So you can come to 830 and get breakfast. But you're like, I'm trying to eat breakfast in the car. And then like, we're all, we're all fussy with each other, and we walk in, and pastor's standing there. So then I got to go, oh, hi, pastor, good to see you this morning. You know, you put the smile on, and then you feel like I got to be perfect when I come in here. But those of you who have been coming for any amount of time, you know that there's no one perfect in this church. We're all just kind of like that family photo. We're all a mess when we come into this space. I like how one a seminary professor said it. He said, Billy, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, you ought not go because you're going to mess it up. You know, you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. But here's the thing. When we open the book of Acts, isn't it true? You read through Acts 1, you read through Acts 2, and you read it. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Like, these people love it. Like, they like each other. They like and they love each other, and they share when someone has need, and they, they're providing food for each other, and they're praying together, and they're worshiping together. Like, this is amazing. I would go so far as to say all the great Christian thinkers today, if you're listening to their podcast, if you're going to their conference, if you're buying their books, you know what they're trying to tell you? Here's what they're trying to tell you. Here's the thought. Here's the thing. Here's the magic formula. Here's whatever, where we as imperfect people can start to look like and live like the book of Acts. Isn't that basically what they're saying? All this stuff of how to do church life, all this stuff of how to be the beauty that God has created us to be, we are imperfect people, but coming together, we can do what's in the book of Acts. So we're starting a brand new sermon series today. And really, even though it's a new sermon series, it's the same passage of Scripture that we've been in. We've been in Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 2 because what we want to do as a church is to say our mission doesn't change as a church, but how do we live out? What was it that the early church valued? How did they do life to get that picture of the church family 
that we see in Acts chapter 2. So in this series, we're going to be in verses 42 through 47. Let's go ahead and go to the Bible now. Acts chapter 2. We're just going to be in verse 42 today. So you can go ahead and just turn right there and, and stay right there. So how do we do that? How do we go about this process? What you're going to see, there's going to be like these five commitments you see through this series that the early church lived out. Today, we're going to see that the early church was committed to a life in the word and a life in prayer. That's our big idea today. You need to commit to a life in the word and a life in prayer. So how do we do that? This was 2,000 years ago, right? 2,000 years ago, they didn't have all the distractions that we have. They didn't have to drive these distances to work. They didn't have these schedules that we have. How do we do this today? How do we devote ourselves to the word and to prayer? Well, point number one, you need to devote yourself to the Bible. Devote yourself to the Bible. Let's pick up in verse 42 is where we're going to read today. The word of God says this. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So the first way we devote, uh, we, we can shape our lives devoted to God and the word is to devote ourselves to the Bible itself. That means that you're regularly going to read the Bible. You're going to think about, meditate on the Bible. You're going to listen to people preaching about and talking about the Bible. We're going to apply the Bible. Now in verse 42, what you're going to see is that there was a multitude of new Christians, right? You had all these thousands and thousands of, th do you remember? Peter preached, didn't he? When Peter preached, there was 120 believers. After Peter preached, there were 3,000 people who came forward, who gave their life to Christ, who were baptized that day. So now we have thousands and thousands and thousands of new Christians. And it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word devoted only appears 10 times in all the New Testament. It literally means persistence in persevering over something. Persistence in persevering. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. They, they had persistence. That means it's that wrinkling of your face when you say, I am not going to quit. This may be tough. I may be having struggles with it, but I'm going to continue forward, one foot in front of the other. I'm not going to quit. I'm devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's the, it's the dog. You've seen the dog with the rope, and you play tucker with the rope. Then you're like, I'm going to show you who's boss, and you lift the rope in the air, and the dog doesn't let go, right? You know, like that tenacious spirit. They just do this, and they hang on their body, starts doing... You know, just go with it. Anyway, <laughs> you get the idea. The church was devoted they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so the apostles would teach in a way that says, for three years, we've walked with Jesus. For three years, we've listened to him. So one day, Jesus sat down on a hillside, and he called the disciples to him, right? They're, they're teaching, here's what Jesus did, here's what Jesus said, and here's how you live a life in Christ. They were teaching what it meant to follow Jesus, which is a lot like what we do every Sunday morning, isn't it? They were teaching what it means to follow Jesus. What's clear in reading through Acts, though, and I think throughout the rest of the New Testament, that the foundation was in the Scriptures. You need to remember the Scriptures at that time was the Old Testament, wasn't it? You see, they didn't teach that Jesus came to replace the Old Testament, they didn't teach that all of a sudden now you throw the Old Testament away, that you unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. In fact, they taught the opposite. Here's something Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. 
he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Do you see that? Twice he said, in accordance with the scriptures, which means we're not replacing the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. One other thing I want to point out real quick. Paul said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, Paul's saying, I received something, but I didn't receive it just so I could be smarter. I didn't receive it so that I could be enlightened. I received it so that I could share it with you. It's the same thing that we see from Peter, isn't it? Peter received the gospel of Jesus. He was with Jesus for three years. But then at Pentecost, he stood up and he said, this this truth isn't just for me. I have it so that I can share it with you. This was a challenge I heard at the men's retreat. So those of you with sons or husbands or dads or or friends who are at the men's retreat, here was a challenge they received on night number one. Uh, Pastor Dom got up and he just said, So many times we come to things like retreats and we just say, Lord, speak to me, you know, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, we, they didn't sing that, but you know, it's kind of that prayer of just, Lord, we're, we're trusting you and we want you to speak to us. Here was his challenge. You're not receiving this truth for you to sit on and hold for yourself. You're receiving this truth to share with someone. So he challenged them to write down who is it that you're supposed to go back and share what you're learning this weekend with. Maybe it's one of your kids, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a coworker, but the truth you're receiving is not just for you. So I throw that out to you as well. Like as you're listening this morning, as we're learning together this morning, who are you supposed to be sharing this with? Because we are not supposed to sit on this and keep this for ourselves. We're supposed to share this. So this is important because what this does is this establishes a pattern of how we're supposed to do church, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And what that means is the complete canon, all 66 books of our Bible, from in the beginning God to amen, right, or to the maps, like just all of it, right? We're supposed to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Today, it really happens in two major spaces. There's two spaces that we see this happen. The two primary ways really comes from verse 46, where it says they did it in the temple and they did it in homes. When you become a member of Woodside, if you forgot, you make commitments. Like part of our membership process says we're not looking for passive membership. We're not looking for membership that requires nothing of you. We want membership where it's like, okay, we're committing as a church to this, and here's what you're committing to. Part of what you committed to is you said, I'm going to be involved in corporate worship. That's this. And you committed to, I'm going to be involved in biblical community. Right? That's a group. So you committed to those two settings. When we see the temple, man, we see examples of that all throughout the New Testament. But that was Peter, wasn't it? When he got up to speak... And he preached from Joel and he preached from Psalms at Pentecost. When he got up to preach, that's what he was doing. He was preaching to the bigger congregation. What we are doing is we are part of that. I, um, I love that at Woodside, we talk a lot about we want people to belong to Christ, grow in Christ, and reach the world for Christ. But we have values as well. Like that may be our marching order. 
But our values is how do we go about doing that? And of all of our values as a church, the one that I think this particular campus lives out more than any other value is we are family. That's the value we live out. In fact, if you talk to people who come in for the first time, what I hear over and over and over as people are leaving is like, I can't explain it. I just felt home when I, when I showed up. I felt like I was with family members, like it was an incredible experience because I, I didn't feel like I was just some stranger in a church, even though I don't, may not know anyone yet. I, I feel like I'm part of a family. We are family, but it's, it's more than just we're family. We're family who live and love the word, right? So we're intentional. Like in my family, if I call my family right now in Oklahoma, I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to talk a lot about how OU beat Texas again. Like it, again, just in case. No one cares in Michigan, I know, but I care. Like it's a big deal. If I call my family, that's what we're going to talk about. But that's not really what this family is focused on, is it? This family isn't focused on OU beating Texas. Again, this family is focused on living and loving the word. That's what we're focused on. We're focused on the foundation of Christ. We're focused on the foundation of his holy word. That's what we're focused on. Now, I forget where I first heard it, but there's a statistic out there that says the average church member, not of Woodside, but in America, the average church member attends 1.4 times per month. I go to Starbucks more than that, right? So when you think of that whole being committed to the apostles' teaching, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, 1.4 times per month isn't devoted, is it? If I'm more devoted to coffee than that, like that's not devoted. That's because I'm not even that crazy. Like I like coffee, fine, but it's not like I'm devoted to the Lord. And I share that with you, not as some weird guilt trip or some sideways guilt. No, I say it because I want you to know how encouraged I am that you're here. Because I know, like you could be anywhere today. Some of you, you're here without spouses. You're here without boyfriends. You're here without friends because there's so many men at the retreat, and yet you're here. You woke up this morning. There was a nice chill in the air, wasn't there? You could have pulled the covers up tight, and you could have said, I'm going to Bedside Baptist today. <laughs> That's, you could have. You could have. You could have looked outside and said, look at the leaves changing. You know, I'm going to car side. I'm just going to go driving and I'm going to look at the leaves there because it's beautiful out there. You know, it's just fantastic. And yet you're devoted and you're here. And I just want you to know, we can't get this anywhere else, guys. There is nowhere else that we get this. We come together and we think of that family photo and we think, okay, we may not be perfect individuals, but there is something so beautiful happening here. This is such an incredible thing that we only get when we come together like this. So setting number one that we find is we find in the temple. Setting number two that we see is we're going to see uh, together in the homes, right? We see that. Now, there's a, a word that's used. It's the word fellowship. I encourage you to circle that word fellowship and put an asterisk because I think we've hijacked that word. Don't you? I mean, we have. We, we turn fellowship into meaning cookies and punch, that's not fellowship. Cookies and punch can be part of fellowship, but that in and of itself is not fellowship. Now, when we talk about meeting in the homes, we're talking about groups at Woodside. If you're part of a group, there's three arms to a group. I know you've heard me talk about it before, but if you're in a group and you talk about the Word of God and you're preaching the Word of God and it's like you sit still while I instill, kind of, that's, that's not a group. That's not a group. There should be fellowship taking place. That means there should be an 
an in aspect. And the in aspect isn't like, hey, did you know OU won? You know, it's not that. The in aspect is where you're looking at people and you know their face story. And you know the hurts, habits, and hangups they have. And they know yours. And you know each other on a rich relational level. And if something's happening in their life, you're there to help. And vice versa, you're going to hear a story in the next couple of weeks. It's just incredible of where this was lived out just this week in a powerful way. But when it comes to fellowship, when it comes to the end part of a group, is where we are intentionally knowing each other in the Lord. But there should be enough aspect. If you have cookies and punch and you're never opening the Word of God, that is not a group. That's hanging out. Hanging out's fine, but it has nothing to do with being part of a group. Right? There should be an up aspect where you all say together, we collectively, as a group, we are learning about the Lord together. We are growing together in the Lord. And there's one other aspect, and that's the out. There should be an in, out, and up to every group. The out is where you say, this is not just about us. This is about going outside the walls of this house, and we need to go and love the community around us, right? This is what it means to be part of biblical community. It's what it means to be a spiritual family. And what's so cool is when you read this, then you see breaking of bread. There is food involved. There's some snacks. It's not even a gluten-free group, you know? Like there's, there's breaking of bread happening. But what's so cool is this picture that's created in our minds. Because not just mom, dad, and daughter, part of this group. This is mom, dad, daughter, and it's Fido, and it's auntie, and it's uncle, and it's grandma, and it's grandpa, and hey, that guy, he, he heard Peter last week, and then he went down and was baptized. He's going to come, and he's going to be part of our group, and it's when we move from rows. I would say circles, but I like how someone in our church said it. She said, it's not even really circles. It's more of a horseshoe, isn't it, because there's always room enough for one more to come in, Always room enough for one more because that woman down there, she was talking to that guy down there and she gave her life to Christ and was baptized and she's going to come in and you start to see the family happening, not just in the temple, but happening in the homes as well. It's this larger extended family is what you see living out. So we want to cultivate lives that are committed to the word and then to prayer. Point number two is we have to devote ourselves to prayer. Let's look back at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the early church just didn't leave it at, let's sit there on Sunday mornings, hear the word of God and apply it to our lives. It says they devoted themselves to the prayers. Let's remember the context. This is not later in the New Testament. Later in the New Testament, Gentiles start to become followers of Jesus. And that changes everything. Most in this room, there might be some who grew up with a Jewish background, Jewish families. Most of us in this room were Gentiles, and, and we totally messed everything up, just so you know. Like when we came in, things got really messy. But at this point, it's not messy yet. At this point, everyone who's coming to faith, they're all coming from a Jewish context. They knew about prayer. Church, they prayed in the morning, they prayed in the afternoon. They prayed in the evening. They had prayers for festivals. They had prayers for the changing of the seasons. And what this is telling us is they didn't say, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, that doesn't matter anymore. In fact, it was just the opposite. It says that they continued to be devoted to prayer. In the corporate setting, in the home setting, they continued to be devoted. And what that does, just so you know, prayer screams to the Lord that we are dependent on him. 
not what prayer does. Prayer screams, Lord, we need you. We need you for the food we're going to eat. We need you for the forgiveness of our sins. We need you for the wisdom and discernment and direction in our life. Lord, we need you. We're in trouble without you. Lord, we need you to step in here. It continually reminds us of our dependence on him. Something I want you to do just for fun this week. Just for fun. Read through Luke and Acts, which is like part one and part two, right? Read through Luke and Acts, and I just want you to journal and write down every time you see someone praying, especially if you see a church praying. Write down every time you see someone praying, and then I want you to write a blank, because in that blank, what you're going to do is you're going to fill in what the Lord did. Almost every time you see people praying, you see groups praying, the Lord does something big. You know, a lot of times it happens in the lives of the people who are praying. Sometimes I think we pray and we say, Lord, we need you. I need you to heal the sickness that's over here. I need you to heal this broken relationship that's over there. Lord, I I need you to do these things for all these other people. But a lot of times what happens, we're the ones who are changed. You see, there's something that happens when you go, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's something, too, when you say, Lord, I have this stuff that's weighing heavy on me. Like it's really pressing down on me. But before I ask for those things, I want you to know that if you say yes, if you say no, if I don't hear from you, I trust you. It's about your desire, not mine. I, I, I trust you. There is something that happens that changes us when we pray those kind of prayers. They were devoted to a life of prayer. You ever, you ever seen someone who, um, they're kind of health nuts a little bit. They're devoted to the gym. It's like they got the, the gym shoes, like the real ones. The gym britches, not like basketball shorts. Like if I win, I'd probably just wear basketball shorts. But like, I mean, like they got, they got the real britches. Like they know what to wear. They got the shirt that wicks off the moisture and stuff, you know. They've got all that. And when they go to the gym, they know how to do it. Like they know, I would say they know how to do the machines. But some of you, you're like actually that person. You're like, machines, I crossfit, you know. And so you're like, I really know how to do the circuit. You know, I know how to do all that. Some of you, that's you. You got the breathing down and the technique down, straight back. Don't lift with your back. You know, you've got all that stuff going. Use your legs. And you've got all that. Like, you know how to do the stuff. And then Weekend Warrior shows up, right? Like, that's not me. I get hurt playing with my poodle, so I don't even try this. But there's people who on January 2nd, they show up to the gym, don't they? They haven't been all year. The tag's still on the shirt because they haven't ever been to the gym. They show up to the gym kind of like... Here we go, you know, and they're, they're doing the walk, and they look at the machine, and then they hog the elliptical, don't they? And you can't get on it because they're, on, but you know, here's the thing, though. They're not, they're not really committed to the gym. They're not committed to health. They're committed to the idea of the gym. You see the difference? A week later, that idea goes away, and they're like, forget it. I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to Big B or something, give me some donuts, go to that Tim Hortons, I get coffee and a donut, that's what I'm going to do, you know, and that, but the idea of the gym was great, you know where I'm going. I think that sometimes we're very committed to the idea of prayer. I think sometimes we're committed to the idea of the teaching of the apostles, of diving into the word of God. I think sometimes we're committed to the idea of it. But I think sometimes there's a disconnect between being committed to the idea and actually being committed to it. I think there's a, the, I think there's a disconnect sometimes between us having 
this passion for prayer and this passion of, I, I know I should have a passion for prayer. I think there can be a disconnect. There was a, one of the campus pastors recommended, sorry about that, recommended the book from Timothy Keller called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. And so in this book, Tim Keller talks about how he encourages people, have a time in the morning you pray, time in the afternoon, time in the evening, extend a time with your church family. Here's the thing, it's about being intentional with your prayer. Are you intentional with your prayer? So for me, some people have looked at me and said, Billy, you know, is that drive killer or what? Like if I, if you don't know, I live in Waterford, and so I drive to Romeo from Waterford uh, every day to come here to the church. And uh, the answer is no, actually, that time goes real, real fast for me because it's my prayer time. That's my time I pray for my family. It's when I pray for you. That's when I pray for our schools. Romeo schools, guys, they've had a hard week this week. This has not been an easy week for Romeo schools. That's where I pray for our church leaders, our national leaders, our community leaders. It's my time of prayer. That time flies by. Like that time goes so fast. The point is, it's intentional, right? It happens not, it happens because it's on purpose. How are you doing with being intentional with your prayer life? Again, there's two settings right? There's this corporate setting right here in the temple. And if you're going, well, how, how do I be intentional with prayer here? Well, here's how. Show up a, a few minutes early. As you show up a few minutes early, I just want you to get here. Start to pray for the people who are going to be sitting on your left and your right. Pray for the worship team. Pray for me, right? The elders meet me every Sunday morning at eight o'clock just so we can pray together for, for you before the morning gets started. How are you doing in that corporate setting? It's when we open our mouths to sing, Something else I heard at the men's retreat that I thought was good. And Dom said that a guy came up to him, had never been in church before, and he, um, he said, Pastor Dom, I just want you to know, I don't really like that karaoke part, so I'm going to skip the karaoke, but I'm going to come for the teaching. I like the teaching. And uh, Dom said, I was a little offended at first. You know, the karaoke, what? You know, he said, I, I was really kind of offended. He said, but then it hit me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's kind of what it feels like, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, the words kind of going across, and then your singer people up here doing whatever. It feels like karaoke, and yet for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's nothing karaoke about it. It's songs of a righteous God who's poured out His grace and His love on us. It's songs about the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. It's songs about how, how we are free because of the Lamb of God coming and taking away the sins of the entire world. That's what the songs are. So I guess my question is, when you come in, Christians, are, are you prepared for that? Are you ready? Do you come in, and when you open your mouth, is it an opportunity for you to declare together what we believe to be true? That's why this time is so special, Right? That's why the time is so precious. You can't do that in your car by yourself on the way to work. You can't worship with all the saints together. You can't do that. But it's where we together, in our prayer together, our songs of hymn and prayer and praise, is where we together join all of our voices together. There's nothing about this that can be replaced. Right? That is so powerful. How are you doing with that? And then when you go home and you're in your private prayer closet, are you intentional? Is there time set aside that says... I want my time to talk with the Lord. But if you're doing that, I'm going to tell you, if I, if I got home and I talked to my wife and I told her everything about my day and then I turned around and walked to the bedroom and shut the door, that'd be a weird relationship, 
right? She wouldn't like that very much. It's a two-way street. So not only should I have this place where I'm talking, I should have a time where I hush up a little bit, shouldn't I? And I listen to the Lord. And I just be still and I let his word speak to me. And I let myself dwell on and meditate and think about and pray through the songs that we sing. How are you doing with being intentional? It's a little bit surprising, isn't it, that um, Jesus would choose imperfect people like us to be part of that family photo. So we're going to talk about today, this series is just going to continue to build on itself as we go. I do want to leave you with a thought, because I think when we do sermons like this, I've got to be careful. Sometimes, depending on your faith background, sometimes people will feel like I should read the Bible and I should pray because then it'll be like Jesus will say, come on in, now you can be part of the family photo because you did what you were supposed to. I just want you to know that that's not the gospel. If that's what you've taught, if that's what you believe right now, I just want you to know that that does not line up with Scripture. That is not true. We read the Bible, we pray, because He's already invited us into the family. We already are part. If you have placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're already in that place of being part of the family. And if you haven't, I just want you to know today you can do that. You don't, you don't have to wait. You don't have to talk to me private in the office later. Right here, right now, you can just say, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe God loves me. I know I'm not perfect. We call that sin. The Bible calls it sin. It says, I'll have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says that the wages of sin is death. So it's us recognizing, Lord, I cannot be in the family picture because of my sin. I've removed myself from the picture. The Bible says that even in that spot of when we were sinners, when we were removed from that photo, that Christ died for us. So when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it is your faith that gives you right standing. That's what all of a sudden brings you right into the middle of the picture, right there with Christ, part of the family. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the perfection of who you are because you are completely just. You are just in a holy way. You do not call wrong things right. You're completely just. And yet, Lord, you're completely love. So, Lord, will you help us to see the world a little bit more like that? That we read your holy word and we're transformed by the renewing of our minds in that place? That we don't view things the same way because we do spend time in your word. We do hear from you. Lord, I pray for my brothers or my sisters in this room that maybe they, um, they've been committed to the idea of reading your word, but they've kind of become lax in it lately. They've just been way too relaxed with it. Lord, I pray that we just get this hunger and this passion, maybe a conviction, Lord. But this desire where we want to, because the freedom we have in Christ, we want to read more about that freedom. We want to read more about who you are, the plans that you have for our lives, the calling that you've given us to continue to spread the good news. And Lord, give us that hunger for prayer. Even if that means showing up a little bit earlier, staying a little bit later. Let us be quick to look around and to see those around us with the hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Let's be quick to grab them and pray alongside them. 
Lord, we don't want to get tired of doing our faith journey in community. You've created us to do this together. So, Lord, will you, will you just help us as a church be a little bit better reflection of what we read next too? Because of the power of your holy word, let us be a better reflection of that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, church, it... Um, it's such a privilege to be able to walk this journey alongside you, to be, to be your pastor. I love, love, love that on Sunday mornings I get to get up for the best day of the week and spend it with you. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of what the Lord is doing in and through Woodside Romeo at this time. Let's stand as we close our morning in worship together.